Good morning, Connect Church. Would you stand to your feet with me as we start worship this morning? We are getting closer and closer to Easter Sunday, which means there is more and more to be joyous about with God today. So let's turn our eyes away from the things of this earth that would distract us and focus solely on Him as we engage praise towards Him. Yahweh, 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 holy is your name, I don't want to take it in vain, Yahweh, 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 holy is your name, I don't want to take it in vain, there will be no No one. 
actually drawn to the book of Nehemiah this week as I was preparing to sing this. Um, if you don't know, the book of Nehemiah is about a man named Nehemiah who is rebuilding the city of Jerusalem after it was burnt down. 
that you would think that in a context like that, that Nehemiah's prayers would have sounded something like, God, rise up and smite my enemies, or God, after we rebuild this, let this be a place for people who don't know you to come into, and both of those things happen. But I was surprised by what Nehemiah's actual first prayer was. He knew in order to be a safe place for people who do and did not know God, he needed to rebuild that wall and to rebuild the city. But to do that, his first prayer was saying, God, you need to rebuild us because we are the ones that tore this place down. Not physically, but there were things in that place, in the city of God, that were wrong, that were sin, that were destroying that place from the inside. There was poison in the promised land. And I would love to be able to sing this song and say, yes, let's believe that this will draw people to the church. But I'm looking around the church globally right now. I'm seeing a lot of fires that are burning down. And I feel like people in the world who don't know Jesus are looking at what should be a safe zone and seeing a fire hazard. I want the church, our church and the church, to be a safe zone for people to come in and receive the healing of God, to be transformed by the love of God. But they won't do that if there's poison in the sea next to them. So I'm going to do some business with Jesus and the Holy Spirit as I sing this and lead us today. Because there are some things in me that need to be purified so that the promised land can be purified. I can't make y'all do that. But I can invite you to do the same. To invite you to say, God, as you are healing our land, heal us so that the land may be healed simultaneously. So church, let's sing this together. Understandings, hate running rampant, every man out for his own. It seems like we lost our way, and the distance grows every day. Thought that we had it, caught in the madness, oh, ain't it tragic? But you said, as we turned from our wicked ways, and humbled ourselves and prayed. Seek your face, you'd give us grace. So come have your way, Lord. Here we are, abandoned hearts, abandoned knees with outstretched arms. God, hear us from heaven. Send us your presence. We need you, Lord. We need you, Faithful to finish, cause you said 
If we turn from our wicked ways and humbled ourselves and prayed, and seeing your face, you'd give us grace. So come have your way, Lord. Here we are, abandoned hearts, abandoned knees with outstretched arms. God, hear us from heaven. Send us your presence. We need you, Lord. We need you, Lord. We need you, Lord. Oh, hear us. Lord, come and heal our land. Oh,
You have my eternal yes. You have my eternal yes. You have my eternal yes. I teach my soul to say yes. I teach my soul to say yes. Turn away from, turn away and say yes. Father, we don't fear being a people of repentance. There's no stigma. There's nothing to be ashamed of. There's nothing to feel small about. What you ask for continually is our repentance. That we would see what makes you ache in our lives and repent from it quickly. And it's not just an eternal yes but it's also a no to our soul. So God, I pray that you would help us know the different pieces that are required in a disciple's following of you, Jesus. You have my eternal yes. Oh, oh. you have my eternal Sometimes I gotta train my spirit to say yes louder than my soul says no. I just pray, Father, for the strengthening in this room for our yeses. God, you know the whole story that is behind us needing to say yes to you more and no to the things that we say will not be our God. So, Father, I pray, Lord, that there would be um, a truer understanding as the days go by of understanding what's involved in a yes. And I pray, Father, that you would help change our taste buds to want the things of you that make us say yes more readily. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. And church, it's in this same attitude of reverence that I just want to acknowledge. You know, we talk a lot about a church about being people who will rejoice with those who rejoice. And we also talk about being a people who will mourn with those who mourn. And the truth of the matter is, is that we don't often know who's who in the zoo when you walk in on a Sunday. Right? So you're thinking everybody's rejoicing. 
and I'm over here with the thing that I must mourn. But when you feel safe enough within your community, you share the mornings so that others can not just have the knowledge of the morning, but can have the strength of the shouldering that is needed to come next to your sister and your brother when they're walking with weakness, even if you can't see it. And we lost someone in our church family this week, and we stand. You know how you come in and you're like, I don't know how that person is doing that. And this is how I feel today. And if at any moment you want to step down, <laughs> you can. But this is the truth. Life is real. It happens. And Candace lost her brother this week. And Starlin lost her papa. And Sandra, her, bro- her son. And this is real mourning. And she, she chose to be here. And you can choose to sit and you can choose. But we chose to be here today too. So don't let it, yes. So don't let it just be to testify of somebody that's going through something, but they were here. I got, I'm so happy I saw it. It's the, it's the dip in the shoulder that matters. This. We understand this is what matters. For however long it's needed. This is what life is. This is ministry, church. This is a sermon because it is teaching us right now. This is worship because it's everything I have and everything I don't have. I still come into your presence and I still look to you and I still know who you are, even if my life looks differently than it did seven days ago. And yet I will praise, and when no sound comes out of my mouth, I know that there are people in this place that will sing in my proxy until I can find my voice again. And that's what we stand here today and do to you, Lord. For you are good. You are good. You are good. Yes. For you are good. You are good. You are good. You are faithful. You are faithful, you are faithful. You are love, you are love, you are love. You love us through us. You love us through us. You love us through one another, Lord. Through one another, Lord. Thank you for teaching us in the midst of a Sunday what real holiness looks like. It doesn't contain only the good stuff. It contains the mercy of your throne room. And we are in the midst of your mercy because you pour out mercy where there is deep grief. So, God, I thank you, Father, for acknowledging our grief. And I thank you, Father, for pouring down your mercy, God, on this family. And I pray, God, that we can, in tangible form, 
and in spiritual form be the shouldering that they need while they find their footing. In your name, amen. happen in his life over and over and over again. He loses his family. He loses his business. He, he loses his house. He loses his health. He, he goes through all the struggles that all of us in this room go through in life, but they happen all at once. And he's surrounded by friends who come and stand with him and nurture him because that's what we do. Because that's what men and women of God do. Church is not a moment, an event. Church is a community of faith. It is a family. It is brothers and sisters. It is men and women that say, yes, I'm going to stand. I may not even know your name, but I'm going to stand in the gap. And there's this amazing quote that Job has in the middle of it all. It reminds me that my God is good. He says, but I know that my Redeemer lives. They're all saying, just curse God and die. Just, just give up on God, Job. Just, just walk away. And he says, no, 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 you don't understand. I know, my redeem- I know my Redeemer lives. How? You've got boils all over your body, but I know my Redeemer lives. But, but you lost your children. I know my Redeemer lives. But you lost your business. I know my Redeemer lives. Yeah, but you, you've lost friends. I know my Redeemer lives. Your children are gone. I know my Redeemer lives. There's something that has to stir in us when we see moments like this that says, but I know my Redeemer lives and he will put his feet back on the earth. I am, that we are not without hope. The tomb is empty. Jesus says, if you believe in me, even though you die, you will live. We serve a resurrected Savior. And every time we mourn with one of our sisters or brothers that have lost a loved one we are reminded not only of the pain that they bear but of the promise the son brings which is although we die because he rose again death and hell have no power on us what a God we serve so father regardless of what each and every person is going through in this room today I stand with Danielle and daddy has pastors of this house we say yes you have our eternal yes regardless of the boils that come the failures we may go through the hardships we must face God we you have our eternal yes because we know that our Redeemer lives And one day you will put your feet back on the earth again. We give you the glory and the honor. Give us strength. Raise up our hope. We trust in you. In Jesus' name. Come on, church. And together we say amen and amen. Can we give God just one shout of praise? Just a moment of glory for who he is, Father. Thank you that you're worthy today, Lord God. Woo! 
Sometimes you just got to bring a sacrifice of praise like Candace did. It's just a sacrifice of praise. It's not easy sometimes. You got to bring a sacrifice of praise. Uh. Jesus. Oh, kiddos, I'm so glad you were in the house today. Hey, this generation, I am proud of you. I believe in you. Whether you are in kindergarten, whether you're in fifth grade, whether you're a middle schooler, whether you're in high school, listen, we are proud of you. God has a destiny for you. He has a plan for you. He has a call on your life. You are a light in a dark world. We need you. He needs you. You are special. You are designed. You are crafted. You are made by the, in the very palm of his hand. He knew you before you were in your mama's belly. The Bible says he has every hair numbered on your head. He has you engraved. He has... My God is the first tattoo artist. You think tattoos were cool in the 80s and 90s? and two, Some of you are like, I don't even know what the 80s is. That's a long time ago, Pastor. Man, cool people have tattoos. No, my God says, I engraved your name on the palm of my hand. You are known. You are known. You don't have to figure out your identity. He knows who you are. Young people, he knows who you are. And so do we kings and queens don't you ever compromise that you are a daughter of the most high God you are a son a prince of the kingdom I'm so thankful for Kevin and Lisa our children's and family pastors here they're doing such an amazing job so kiddos can you follow out Pastor Kevin with a sign and as they're going give them a hand somebody give them a hand thank you team for all you do as you're being seated, give somebody next to you a high five. Tell them we love them. Tell them it's good to see them. See lots of air high fives this winter. <laughs> I want job. Uh, woo. Come and move. We say yes to you. You know, church, what a... Amazing thought that is. And uh, today is someone's, well, tomorrow is actually someone's birthday in this house. That's important. Or right, that's tomorrow. It's not tomorrow. I should know this. It's my wife. Uh, it's the 22nd. It's her birthday, which is not tomorrow. It's this week. See, but in our family, she, we have a birthday week. Is that, is that a good call? Birthday week. So, baby, look. We love you. We want to say happy birthday. Thank you for mothering this house, for pastoring us, for loving on us, for praying for us, for interceding for us, for standing in the gap always. You do things that no one sees, but our king always does. And I know, I know the ladies. I know the, you guys had stuff. Yeah, Shayla. Shayla's going to come. Come on, Shay. Come on, Shay. You can, yeah, yeah. Shayla's like, yeah, I love being on the stage. Come on. Good morning. Oh, okay. Can you hold this, please? Um, first, I want to say Pastor Lisa would be up here with us, but she is serving in kids. Um, really quickly, I just wanted to read something. Um, this is to you, but it's also to everybody. Um, there is so much more to being a pastor than we see. 
Not only is Pastor Danielle a pastor, but she is an individual. She is a wife, a mother, and many other things to other people. Pastor Danielle, we are so grateful to have you and to be led by you. We appreciate your wisdom, your prayers, and for fighting on our behalf. We appreciate your sacrifices and the fact that you just keep showing up. When you have pastors in your family, you see what goes on behind the scenes. You see how much work, how much dedication it takes. Years ago, God told me specifically about the office of a pastor that many people want the position, mm. but very few actually want the job. <laughs> so on behalf of Shoulder to Shoulder, all of the women here, on behalf of our church, thank you for not just obediently taking the position, but for consistently doing the job wow. and for doing it in excellence. We love you, we appreciate you, we honor you, we call you blessed, we lift you up, we carry you, we support you. Happiest of birthdays yet. Amen. Wow. That's we my love girl. Pastor Danielle. I just wanted to pray over, over her. Oh, yeah. And if you could stay standing as we pray and bless mm. Pastor Danielle. And, you know, Pastor Danielle, what stood out to me is that you are a watchman. And a watchman hears from the Father's heart, right, church? If you go to Ezekiel 33, hears from the Father's heart and then gives warning to the people. And it's just a testament of how she walks closely to our Heavenly Father, and she takes that role seriously. She has many, many wonderful roles. She does so well, but that stood out to me this week that she is a watchman, and we're so grateful for that, Amen. Pastor Danielle, and the heart that you have toward our Father, and you give us warning and instruction, and Pastor Kyle as well, about staying close, right, church, mm. to the heart of the Father. That's what it's all about. So let's, yes. let's pray for our beautiful pastor. Yes, Father, we thank you so much for Pastor Danielle. We thank you for the blessing that she is to this house. She does so many things well, Father. Yes. We could go on and on. But today, I just want to acknowledge the watchman that she's been to this yes. house. And that means she has listened intently to your heart. She has had her head at your chest, listening to you and giving warning to all of us and encouragement to all of us. And her and Pastor, Danielle, uh, her and Pastor Kyle teaching us to walk closely with you, Lord, and to have our hearts guarded and tended to and to be repentant and to be passionately in love with you. And we thank you so much. For that, And not just for all that she does, but just for who she is, yes. a beautiful daughter of the yes. king. And we're so thankful just for the gift that she is to this house. Bless them both tremendously Jesus. this year. And all God's people said, amen. 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 Love you, baby. Love you. Thank you, church. Uh, you guys can be seated. You know, uh, I'm just going to brag on my wife for just one second. Um, I can brag on my wife the whole rest of the day. Um, but one of the things that she does, one of her gifts, uh, and, and Shayla, thank you for that, because 
It's not just, uh, lots of people want the position, they just, uh, they don't always want the price. And Danielle's paid the price time and time again for standing in the gap. Um, but one of the ways that she wants you to feel loved by her is she's so gifted in interior design and she always says love is found in the details. Love is found in the details. And uh, as you walk around this building, she designed what you're sitting in. She designed all of it um, because she wanted you to know when you sat in here, when you walked out there, when you came in, where everywhere you went, you saw the detail of love. And that is purposed, um, but it just comes from who she is. It's not a trick to, it's not a way to grow church. It's a way to send a message to church that you're loved, and we love you. So thank you for coming, and thank you for being a part of our family, and thank you for allowing us to pastor you, because it's the greatest honor. Okay. Are you ready for the word now? I'm, all, I'm already, like, I'm rung out already. I'm rung out. Worship, I'm rung out. I'm ready for the word. Say, hey, look, since you have your Bible, why don't you open with me to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. Uh, it's written by the Apostle Matthew. Um, obviously, he is somebody who was a tax collector, uh, which, oh, and then came to Jesus, which for us is such good news because it reminds us that we don't have to have our stuff together before we come to Jesus, that Jesus takes all of us and changes us to make us something new. And we mentioned this, uh, this, par uh, this, this parable last week as part of the message. And so I wanted, to, uh, I wanted to lay it out a little differently for us today. I wanted to, to unfold it. So if, if, you, if you need a message, a uh, title for today's message is, Can't Figure It Out. Can't Figure It Out. Have you ever felt like you just can't figure something out? Like you're at the point where you're so frustrated with yourself. I'm not talking about can't figure out the advanced calculus or algorithms to land on the moon, right? I'm talking about not figuring out, being able to figure out something you think you know, think you should know by now. Has anyone ever, I should know this by now. And you, I just can't figure it out. One of my most traumatic events in, in our marriage is, I know, I know, I didn't even, I haven't even told her what I was going to say, she knows already, was one day, we were living in our old house in Cherry Hill, and, and I wanted to bless Danielle, I wanted to bless Danielle, she wanted these shelves up, and so I got these shelves, and I was like, I'm just going to put them on, I'm going to surprise her, it's going to be a great day, and, and, and these shelves were made from Satan, right, they're, they're the kind of shelves that already have the holes open in the back, that sound great, but they're right from the, like, the, the workshop of hell, and you, because you can't, if your screws are a centimeter off, you can't, and then if one's high, it's, you can't, they're horrible. And I literally, she came home. After hours of being away, she came home. I am crying in a corner. I'm not excited, this is not pastor story. I am crying in a corner. And there's holes all over the wall. And I'm saying, I just, I can't figure it out. I can't figure it out. I have, I graduated college. I have a master's degree. I can't figure out how to hang a shelf. It was so frustrating. But I think the truth is sometimes that's how we feel when it comes to receiving God's word in our life. Especially in light of what we talked about last week, trying to get ahead of it, ahead of the, the enemy's plans, ahead of God's blessing so we can steward it well. Sometimes we get this way in light of hearing from God and listening to the word, listening to his voice and what he's called us to be in our lives. 
And yet there's so many times we find ourselves like I was, crumpled in the corner, so frustrated because it doesn't seem like we can figure out how to be what we heard that we already are and how to get ahead of what we're not already. So when it comes to hearing things like Romans 8.37 where the Bible says, you are more than a conqueror in Jesus Christ, and yet I find myself failing time and time again to be like Jesus, it's in these moments my soul inside of me, and maybe you're a little bit like me and maybe you're not, but sometimes my soul just says, I want to quit. I can't figure out how to get this Christian thing right. I can't figure out how to be the disciple God wants me to be. I can't figure it out. And it leaves so much open to be robbed from my life. But the good news is that Jesus actually gives us some direction in this area. So maybe we're not quite as unusual as we think we are. Because in this text, Jesus is going to talk about the sower. And he is the sower. And he's going to talk about how the sower goes out to sow seed, which is the word of God. But because of the condition of certain soils, only one out of four seeds grow. Now, I think we've done this text some injustice by only seeing it through the lens of evangelism. Like, come on, you know, only one out of four people, when they hear the word, is actually going to come to Jesus. Now, that may be true. However, it's also true that this has to do with each and every one of us and the soil that's in our life as we receive or struggle to receive the word that God has for you and I. And then maybe if you and I today could learn how to do a little bit of soil adjustment in our life, we might be able to find ourselves uh, less frustrated and more able to see what God has created us to be, maybe more able to be who God really wants us to be and maybe who we want to be, and we can actually tell that crying Kyle in the corner to shut up because we don't really have to figure it out. We just have to learn how to allow the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit does and make things new. Isn't that the promise in 2 Corinthians 5, 17? When you come to Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. So how do we live in this tension where we're, we're new, so we're going to heaven, but there's still a lot of old in us? That, that theology is called now but not yet fully. I'm a child of heaven, but I ain't in heaven yet. It's now, but not yet fully. I'm made new, but there's still a sanctification, a making new process that has to happen inside of me. So that means that there's some soil in all of us that needs some adjustment. That's what this verse is about. In verse 3, it says, And Jesus told them many things in parables, saying this, A sower went out to sow, and he, as he sowed, some seeds fell among the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. So many men and women of God withering away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds then fell on good soil and produced grain, some hundredfold, sixty, or even thirty. Now I know that we've talked about getting ahead of some of these things. But sometimes in order to maximize getting ahead, we first have to prepare the soil in our lives to receive the word that God has for us in that area of our life. 
It's great. We can name, if you know the Bible, you can name promises for every area of your life. Marriage, finances, relationships, the way we think, the hope we should have, our present, our future, the way we deal with guilt, shame, and everything. There's promises for everything. It's not the word that's not there. There's some soil that hasn't been prepared to receive the word in our lives. And I think that's the challenge in today's world. The challenge for us as we kind of try to wrestle between being a believer and a disciple is that in today's world, I think believers are often content to live with what is grown from the good soil. Man, just whatever God's going to do in the good soil, I'm good. I'm good with. That's good because I'm blessed. I got some blessing in my life. I've got a little bit of favor. This is good. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. God is good, and he does give us favor. But there's a difference between the way disciples and believers go at life. Disciples value the seed more than the harvest they can get from the soil. Let me say that again. A disciple of Jesus values the seed more than the harvest they can get from the soil. Why? Because disciples understand the sower's intention. They understand Jesus' intent was to have every seed to grow. Every seed he sowed was meant to grow. That's his intention. So we have to first learn to value that more than valuing the harvest we get from any soil in our lives. So the question remains, not how do we get more seed. God does that. The word says God provides seed to the sower. But how do we adjust the non-receptant soil? All of us have this non-receptant soil in our life. So how do we adjust it to make it ready for the seed that's intended for it? Because God intends seed for every area of our life. But there are areas, if we're honest, that still aren't producing harvests because we haven't adjusted the soil to be ready to receive the word. Danielle and I started uh, gardening about a year and a half ago. And, and what we've learned is at times you have to do a soil test. And they take some soil and they, they run it through the test to see, is it too high and alkaline? Is there too much acidity? Why? Because you want to make adjustments so that you can maximize and optimize the soil, the potential that's found in the soil. Do you realize that you and I can go through soil tests as well? I know this is how I can test my soil, that when I'm hearing the Word of God, when I'm listening to a sermon or a podcast, I'm at a conference or I'm reading the Bible, and I find myself saying, thinking, thinking I got that. Uh, I, I, I've already worked that out. Oh, I've heard this taught a million times. When I start flicking through my texts rather than through the text, when my soul says, that's gone too far. When my brain checks out, when my experience says, been there, done that, tried that forgiveness thing, tried that grace thing, but... Do you realize, my friends, this, these are red flags that says this area that's being, that's being challenged does not have soil that's ready to receive what God is trying to get us to receive in that moment. You may have received it before. You don't live on, la on yesterday's manna. Every day God drops new manna. You can't live on yesterday's breakthrough, yesterday's revelation. There are new things that God wants to do in your life. Behold, all things are made new, the Bible says. So what we need to understand is that there are some soil tests we got to keep putting in every area of our life because when we start thinking those things, the soil is not good ground. And 
what I love about this is it's in all of us. Jesus makes this one thing clear. All these soils are in all of us. So we're all in good company. But what it means is this. As disciples, we need to address the soil first that's been trampled on. Here's the hard ones. Jesus starts with maybe one of the hardest ones of all. The seed that falls on the trampled path. The path is ground that's been trampled down to make a way that was not there naturally. The truth is, my friends, all of us in this room have parts of us that have been trampled down. Trampled by others. Trampled by the things of life that didn't go our way. Trampled by the schemes and the lies and the plans of the enemy. Even trampled in, unintentionally or even intentionally by others that we've allowed to get close enough to us to stamp on our hearts, to trample down our hopes. Every one of us in this room has ground that's been trampled on by someone. They may be sitting next to you, in front of you, around you. They may have birthed you. They may have called you friend. Have you ever been to a college campus or maybe a high school campus where, where you, you, you see that path that's cut across the grass? You know, you, you go to the quad and there's this path that's cut across the grass. It wasn't there. They didn't make it that way. It's just the shortcut that the kids running late to class take. And they've taken it so often, it's been walked on and trampled on so often over the same path time and time again, it's gotten hardened. It became a hardened ground. It wasn't there naturally. My friends, maybe that's how we felt. Maybe you and I have been walked over time and time again in certain areas. We cannot think that that has not affected our lives and the way that God wants to sow things into our lives. If you've ever felt this way, it's normal. Jesus says you're going to be, have trampled soil in your life. And the reality is, this will help us when we get it, that the enemy knows that emotional pain tends to create trampled ground in the man or woman of God's heart. The enemy knows it's emotional pain, emotional trauma that causes you and I to have trampled ground in our hearts. Why does he know that? Because he knows the word too. Proverbs 13, says, hope deferred. Things that are disappointed when people walk all over you, it'll make your heart sick. It's why when that family member walks out unexpectedly, you and I are heartbroken. It's why when that friend betrays us and backstabs us, we're crushed. When that person that we shared our deepest secrets with and fears with uses that against us, we feel annihilated. When that parent that was meant to protect us is the one that harms us. When the fallen nature of another walks over the most vulnerable parts of us, the enemy is adding one more foot of trampled soil to our hearts. And the truth is, even if the enemy doesn't cause it, he'll always be there to take what we leave exposed. Did you notice the birds only ate what we made available to them? That's why we can't leave our marriages exposed, our kiddos exposed, our hope exposed, our faith exposed, our finance exposed, our relationship exposed, because then the birds come and they eat it and they devour it, which causes more emotional pain, which causes more trampled soil. I get it. It's real. 
And many of us in this room right now are dealing with it, even if we don't want to face it right now. If you're a child of divorce, you've got some trampled, you have some trampled soil in your heart. If your mom or dad walked out on you, you have some trampled soil in your heart. It's just real. There's no shame. It's just there. But the beautiful thing is that Genesis 26 gives us some hope in this area. Because it's the story of how Isaac dealt with something like this. The Bible says that Isaac inherited the wells of his father Abraham after Abraham had died. And the enemy didn't like it. So the enemy comes and keeps filling them in with dirt. Fills them in with dirt. Time, time uh, he'll redig them. The enemy keeps filling them in, filling them in, filling them in. Hardened dirt, hardened dirt, hardened dirt. Why? Because the enemy doesn't want him on his territory. The enemy doesn't want you to take one inch of ground back. The plan of the enemy. Did you ever feel like, man, when you just said, you know what, I'm going to start going for God, and you start to go for God, and immediately you get hit with a fence? Or, or, or disappointment, or hurt, or betrayal. Yeah, you know why? Because it's the plan of the enemy to throw shovelfuls of soil into the well in order to quench your spirit, to cover over your access to the well of the Holy Spirit that is in your life that can bring life and forgiveness and wholeness. With every encounter that's painful, it's another shovelful filling in our wells. I'm sure that in my life, before and after I've been a Christian, I have been responsible for shoveling my own dirt in someone else's well. But I love what Isaac, the son of the promise, by the way, that's who we are. We are sons and daughters of the promise. Don't get it twisted. We are sons and daughters of the promise. I love what he does when he's faced with this situation. He chooses to actively redig the wells. He says, I got to get to the water that's underneath here. I can't let anything cover up the living water, the spring that's there. Jesus says in John 7, the spring at the bottom of that well is the Holy Spirit that actually gives us life and it brings and, and, and it quenches our soul. If we, my friends, that means that we have to start applying forgiveness and grace and mercy to those wounds. We have to water it with the word. We have to start anointing it with the bomb that only Jesus can bring to us. Grace, mercy, forgiveness, the bomb of Jesus. I was sharing in Forge, our men discipleship group the other day, about how the Ark of the Covenant is a symbol of Jesus. How it's made of wood, which is humanity, and, and gold as well, which is divinity. And the wood it's made out of them is shittim wood, which is actually really cool because shittim wood is not only incorruptible, but let, get this. When you pierce the shittim tree, the sap that comes out is used for healing. It's used for a bomb, medicinal use. When you pierce the tree that Jesus, when you pierce Jesus on the tree, what's inside of him comes out of him for healing. This is why the Bible says when we'll allow what's inside of Jesus, which is grace and truth and mercy and compassion and forgiveness and love to come out over that hardened ground, he will what? Restore my soul. Psalm 23. The Bible says in Psalm 47 that he will bind up the brokenhearted. But don't get it twisted. Just like on the cross, forgiveness is the door that proceeds, that precedes the healing. Jesus was pierced first. He said, Father, forgive them. 
then the healing came. This is where it starts, this trampled ground being changed. It's not easy because it wasn't easy becoming trampled. But I love what Isaac does. He doesn't just redig the wells. He actually calls them, the Bible says, what his father Abraham called them. Now, Abraham is the father of faith. He's actually a picture of faith. So what this is telling us is that we've got to start calling those areas by faith what they were named before they were trampled. You, gotta st- we, you and I have to start saying, no, 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 I may have gone through divorce, but I know what healthy marriage is. God has a healthy marriage for me. Oh, no, no, that is not a betrayal. That is an opportunity for reconciliation. That, that, is, that is not a disappointment. That is my opportunity for hope. We need to start calling those things what faith calls those things because in the process of applying what God does and calling them what God says they are, it will create good soil from the trampled ground. Then Jesus goes on and says, if I can find it, because I just made my text 9,000 times bigger, hallelujah. That's what happens when you have sweaty fingers on an iPad. It's like, oh, you can't see? Let me give you one just letter. This is, you have a letter. He goes on to say, though, we don't just have trampled soil that we have to take care of. Many of us are dealing with the stones that are in our ground. Jesus says that inside of all of us, there are stones in our life. That, 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 that word, that Greek word for rocky road or there is actually stony ground. It's stony ground. It's different. It's not a rock. It's not a foundation of rock. It's not a bedstone of rock. It's simply stony ground. It's stones that are there beneath the surface, stones that are found there naturally. When you remove any soil pretty much anywhere in the world, you'll get to a depth where there's just stones. They're there naturally. We all have these natural stones in us that hinder our reception of the word. Some of us have generational stones in us. Deuteronomy 5 says that when certain things happen, the sins of the father are passed down to the third and fourth generation. It's why children of alcoholics are at higher risk to becoming alcoholics themselves. It's why when when divorce runs rampant in a family line, come on, it's a stone. There's a a generational, when there's issues that, well, my uncle, my aunt, my grandmother, there's generational stones that are there in the ground. That we can't ignore. And sometimes those things taint the way we see God's word when it comes. There are stones that come from our desires or natural proclivities from our fallen nature. Paul says in Romans 7, why do I always do what I don't want to do? Why? Because there's a sinful man inside of me. So that means when we say things like, well, I've always desired this. Or I've always felt like this. Yes, those are stones But their stones are not what was put there, but are naturally there, and they're natural from our fallen nature. Just because they're natural there doesn't mean they are God's creation there. Some of us have stones from from the dysfunction that were raised within our family. Maybe worst of all, we have memorial stones that we place there after our failures and our doubts. 
Do you remember the story in Joshua 4 where they come uh, out of the Jordan River into the promised land and God says, take the stones, take them all the way to Gilgal. That means take them to your home, take them to the place where you rest, where you're going to live and find life. That's what Gilgal means. And they take them there and they set them up there. And he says, set them up so that they speak to the generations that follow. The problem is we have not set up memorial stones out of Christ's victory. We set up memorial stones out of our failures. And they speak to generations. They keep saying that we should have shame and failure. Just like Peter, after the denial, he couldn't figure out how to actually get reconnected to Jesus. See, my friends, these things, these are the things that are human imitations of the rock. But instead of establishing growth, they actually limit it. And we think they are foundational to our identity, but they are actually limitations to our maturity. We're like, no, 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 you don't understand. This is who I am. This is who I'm going to, this will help me grow. This is, no, it's no. It's a limitation to your maturity in Jesus. And of course they feel natural. People say to me all the time, this is the most natural way that I feel. Of course you do. They've been with you the longest. They've been embedded in you since your birth. But ultimately they keep the word from penetrating deeper than the surface level. Because after all, these are the things we've identified as ours. We've allowed them to determine who we think we truly are. And we've convinced ourselves that they are stable enough to build our life on. Because here's the, here's the reality. Our soul will always mimic what the spirit motivates. Our soul, we got to get this. Your soul will try to mimic what the Spirit motivates. The Spirit says, Let, there is no firmer foundation than Jesus. No foundation can be laid that is greater than Jesus Christ. Build on the rock that is Jesus. Uh, he is the chief cornerstone. Isaiah 28 says, behold, I lay a stone in Zion, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone. Build on this. And our soul cries out, any stone will do. Because after all, those stones are ours. When we find ourselves stumbling through another parable Jesus tells in Mark 12 about the vineyard owner and the tenants. And there's this vineyard owner that has this beautiful vineyard and he sets his tenants up in it to enjoy it. And he goes off on a trip and he keeps sending servants back to hear the news, to find out what's going on. And the tenants in this vineyard, they misuse them, they beat them up, they mishandle them. And the vineyard owner says, well, I'll send my son because certainly they'll treat him right. He's the son. Obviously, this is a picture of Jesus. But verse 7 says this. But when they saw the son coming, the tenant said, let's kill him. That way, everything can be ours. Somewhere along the way, they began to think that the vineyard they were in was theirs. The life they had was theirs. The soil they were working was theirs. It was never theirs. It was the vineyard owners who had blessed them to eat and get fruit off of this soil. And when we feel like it is ours, it will produce entitlement and resentment when the master wants from us what we wrongly believe to be ours. Did you even notice that the enemy doesn't even have to touch these areas? The enemy doesn't touch these areas. Because left untouched by the grace of God, we limit our own selves. Just by our own stony nature. That keeps us from going deep with the things of God. Our apathy, our complacency. This is who I am. 
I got to work hard. I got to run the rat race. I just got to make my millions. And once I make my first million, I'll be good. This is who I am. The truth is, my friends, I see it so much in our modern church world today where we're hearing so much of the word of God and we're living in these beautiful vineyards that we have here. But we're not allowing the word that we hear to challenge the depth that it wants to go. We keep it as surface knowledge to convince others that we're mature, but not allow it to challenge the areas that actually keep us immature. So how do we deal with it? That's a good question. Jesus tells us in verse 21 that these stones are revealed through tribulation and persecution just that happens in the world when we go through things, when we feel threatened. Whatever we turn to when we feel threatened to soothe ourselves or protect ourselves is a stone. Whatever we turn to to soothe ourselves or protect ourselves when we feel threatened is a stone. And that's when you start to recognize, oh no, this is not the rock, this is a stone. This is not Jesus, this is me. And then in those times, we go through things so God can reveal the rocks and the stones in the tribulation. And then it's on us to grab the stone, to rip the stone out one by one, to grab it with grace and truth, one in one hand and one in the other. Because truth defines what, what that area was designed to look like. And grace destroys the shame that it isn't that yet already. Come on, my friends. Sometimes we need to seize those stones that keep our life shallow and bring them to Jesus as an offering. As an offering. This is what's exampled for us in Genesis chapter 28, another son of Abraham by the name of Jacob. The Bible says Jacob was going through some stuff with his brother Esau, having some family issues. He was going through some stress and some strife. So he lays down on the ground, takes a rock, puts it on, takes a stone, puts it under his head to get some rest. While he is laying there, God gives him a vision. God shows up. God begins to speak. Shows him angels going up and down this ladder. Jacob gets up in the morning, and the first thing he does is take the stone that he rested on and makes it an altar to God. He begins to turn around. He pours the oil on it. He anoints it with the Holy Spirit. He calls it by a new name. He says, this is no longer the rock and the place that I slept. This place is called Bethel now. This is the house where God lives. He purposely took something that he used to rest upon, and he made it a place to worship God. He anointed it as something different than it was, and he brought it under the power of the Holy Spirit to use it to worship the king. Isn't that what Romans 12 says? That we should offer up our whole lives as living sacrifices. This is our act of worship. Our whole lives. Everything. I know there's been times in our marriage when I would say to Danielle, you know who you married. You knew what I was called to. I know no husband in here has ever said something so stupid. But I'm going to help you if you did. Those are stones. Because I was feeling threatened that she didn't see me correctly. I was being threatened by something she was saying or, or something she was challenging me to be or some way that she saw church. So I instinctively struck back with the stone that was buried in my identity. 
But then God had to do something in me. Because then I had to learn. I had to take my marriage and make it worship. Instead of worshiping it, instead of worshiping what I did and making my marriage the sacrifice, I had to choose to worship God through my marriage. To serve my marriage better than I was serving myself. Hey men, I'm going to ask you, be honest with yourself. Are you serving your marriage and are you serving the marriage to the bride better than you're serving yourself? Because if the answer is no, it's a stone. There's no shame in it, but don't leave it in the darn ground. It's time. Use some grace and truth and rip it out. I was convicted by this statement by one of my spiritual heroes, J. Hudson Taylor, who was a missionary at Change China. He said this, the real secret of an unsatisfied life lies too often in an unsurrendered will. Oh, Jesus, help us. This is how we create good soil from stony ground. And finally, church, just kind of as we wrap this up, there's one last soil we've got to wrestle with. And a disciple deals with the weeds that the enemy has planted in their life. It is now no accident that Jesus uses this verbiage of thorny bushes. He says there's seed that gets sown in thorny bushes. Because Genesis 3, 17 tells us that thorny bushes are a result of the fall. They are not the plan of God. They're what listening to the lies of the enemy produced in the world. When you and I listen to the lies of the enemy, it will sow weeds into the soil of our heart that will choke out the seed of God. It is not that the lie of the enemy is more powerful than the seed of God. It is that we have given the lie of the enemy opportunity to be in the same soil to choke out what God wants to do. And Jesus says in Matthew 13, 25, that these seeds are sown at night when we're asleep. When we find ourselves asleep, inactive and unattentive to our spirit man and our spirit woman to what the spirit is trying to do in our life what the word is trying to bring to you and I to being discipled and to being a disciple when we sleep on those things my friends can I tell you we are inviting the enemy to sow seed into the soil of our lives it is not just being lazy and it's not just taking some time to myself it's not just kind of you know I'm just going to take this slowly we have to understand when we are spiritually sleep it is the opportunity for the enemy to come in and sow seeds of weeds that choke out what God wants to do that makes it harder to be intimate with God then we feel further away from him verse 22 says that these things come because of deceitfulness which is schemes of the enemy and anxieties which is a response of unsurrendered soul this soil comes from the lies that we believe in our hearts and the areas that we are unwilling to surrender in our mind, will, and emotions. And these two things choke out the Word of God. But it's interesting to me because Jesus actually says something in verse 26 that sounds counterintuitive. Because when Danielle and I have weeds in the garden, at least this is what we'd like to do, we'd like to rip them out. I'm lazy, so I don't always rip them out. But in my mind, I think, man, I should rip out these weeds. Doesn't that make sense? Like, if you got weeds, rip them out. But Jesus says something counterintuitive. He actually says in verse 26, don't rip them out. Because in so doing, you may rip out some of the weed as well. 
I think Jesus understood that when we start to do those kind of things, we start to deconstruct our faith. That's such a modern thing in today's world. We, we, take some, we, we, we put our own experiences, our own emotions, and the Word of God on the same level, on equal footing, and we try to find a place where the three of those things can have common ground. And we end up living in the deceitfulness of self rather than the freedom of the Savior. So let me encourage you maybe to look at it differently. There's this new method of, of, of gardening that Dean and I are going to try this year. It's called no dig. And I have, some of you may be more advanced than we are, but no dig. This is what it is. It's like no dig is you just take cardboard and you lay it down on the soil. You don't even have you don't, lay it on top of the grass, lay it on top of the weeds. You don't have to plow. You don't have to till the ground. You don't have to remove anything. You just put some cardboard down, a good barrier of cardboard, and then you put tons of, tons of compost on top of it. And in so doing, it creates a completely new venue for growth, but on the same ground. All you need is the right barrier. But my friends, you and I have the right barrier. It's called the blood of Jesus Christ. Colossians 2.15 tells me when he died on the cross, he disarmed every principality and power. The weed is still there, but it has no power any longer because there's a barrier between myself and what's trying to grow in my life. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. The barrier is the blood that enables us to lay out the soil of holy restraint. The compost you're putting on top is holy restraint. Yup, the weeds are there, but I'm going to live in holy restraint. What does that mean? I'm going to choose to live with all those things under the restraint of the holiness that Jesus brings me. There's a holiness that Jesus Christ allows in my life, and I'm going to choose. That weed may be there, but this is the one thing I know about no dig. The longer the barrier's there, the faster the weeds will die. Because the life we're trying to live, we're not trying to live in the balance of the old life and the new, the old desires and the new truths. It's the realization that the blood gives us new soil to plant in. So let's apply the barrier of the blood and compost it with truth. Truth. Isn't that what John 8, 32 says? When I know the truth. Know it. Not accept it intellectually. Know it. Experience it. Compost with it. Make my life decisions out of it. There's this picture in Ezekiel 47 we talked about where the river of God, the living river, is flowing from the throne of God. And wherever the river touches, it becomes alive. It's a picture of the Holy Spirit. But verse 11 tells me something strange. It says on the side of the river, on one side, there are marshes where nothing lives. Marshes and swamps where nothing lives. Do you know what marshes and swamps are caused by? Soil that doesn't know how to handle the water correctly. Psalm 69 says, where there are marshes, there are no sure footholds. This is why, my friends, as a man or woman of God, we have to choose to live in the surrender of holy restraint. Do you remember when Jesus was being tempted? The enemy would tempt him, and what did he do? He said, the word said... No, now go. The word says no, now go. The word says no, now go. The word says no. It doesn't mean he wasn't hungry. He was famished, but the word said no, now go. It doesn't mean that he didn't want authority. He was going to get it, but the word said no, now go. It doesn't mean that he didn't want to be esteemed by humanity. He just was going to get the glory a different way. So he said, the word says no, now go. This is holy restraint. 
And the reality is the more good soil we have, the more harvest we can produce. A year ago, Danielle and I turned a portion of our stone driveway into a huge garden. So I rented a bulldozer. It was one of those, it was scary, wasn't it? And I, I, was, I was on top of it. It wasn't one of those sit-down ones. I was driving on top. I was tearing up the stone. Man, it was awesome. I got, I got some rakes, and we leveled it all out. We got, we got, uh, we got bu- buckets full of, of dirt, topsoil, mulch, right, compost, shoveled it all in, got some stones, built some walls, planted, laid out how we wanted it, rose bushes here, fig tree over there, olive tree from Israel, hallelujah, got to get holy somewhere. We got dahlias over here. We got... Flowers I can't name, Liz, I don't know what they are. But we, and then we sat back and watched it grow. See, the truth is, disciples, what disciples have figured out is there's nothing wrong with the seed. So it's the soil that needs to change. And how do we do it? As we close, this is how we do it. By valuing what the Father values over what our desires can bring us. By desiring more of what the Father can, who the Father is than what the enemy promotes in our lives. In 1 Kings 21, King Ahab is looking jealously at a vineyard, Naboth's vineyard that's across the street from his property. And he wants it, he desires it, he's got to have it. So he goes to him and says, sell it to me, and Naboth goes, no. And then he attempts some more and entices him and tries to entrap him and does all these things in order to get Naboth to sell it to him. And verse 3 really spoke to me when you look at this thing because we're tempted at every level to take a shortcut. And Naboth's response to the king was this, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance that my father gave to me. Come on, church. Isn't it what we should be saying to the enemy, to every weed that the enemy has sown? The Lord forbid that I should give you any soil that my Father has given to me. When the enemy is saying, just sell out, I'll give you something just as good. The reality is what our Father gives us cannot be compared to anything that the enemy tries to give us. It is a false comparison. The truth is, however, the motivation of men and women of Jesus is not simply to get an increased harvest, some 30, 60, 100 fold. God does that because he's good. Our motivation is not to get an increased harvest, but to value the sower by giving him the soil needed for the seeds he wants to grow in us. The value is not to Good. Thank you, Pastor. I want a bigger harvest. No, no, no. Disciple values the sower and in an act of love gives him the soil because he understands the intention of what the vineyard owner wants to grow. This week's Daniel's birthday. Can you imagine if I rolled up with a quarter of a cake Here's one-fourth of a cake. You should be happy. I mean, I at least got you a cake. You should be satisfied, Danielle, that you got a quarter of a cake. But maybe, just maybe because I love her, I'm going to give her the whole cake. Maybe, just maybe, because we love him, we don't bring him a quarter of our life. 
here, Jesus, just be happy with this area. Maybe because we actually love him, we adjust some of the soil and give him the whole cake. Every soil. There will always be stones to remove and trampled soil to forgive. There will always be weeds that need to be covered by the barrier and composted with truth. But my act of worship, of loving God, is not when I stand down front and lift up my hands in a worship song. My act of worship that says, I will worship the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, and life is when I turn to him and say, I'm not going to give you a quarter of a cake. I'm going to give you all the soils of my life. Here's my life. It's my offering to you. That's the altar call. Look, my God's going to give you favor and blessing. He's going to multiply a harvest in any good soil you give him because that's how good my God is. He will never hold it against you that you keep three-fourths of the soil for yourself. He's just a good God. It's not about how much he loves us. It's how much do we love him that we're willing to give him back the soil that costs us something to change. What stones do you got to remove today? What trampled soil that you've been walked over time and time and time again in do you need to just stop and say, God, I'm really hurting here, but your word says that you will bind up the brokenhearted. Your word says that you'll restore my soul. So I'm going to stand here and I'm going to say, I forgive that person. And I'm going to ask you to help me to mean it in my life. Because right now, all of us heard things in this sermon that said, man, I'm really good at that. I've got that together. Uh, I've heard that taught a thousand times. And yet there's trampled paths stony ground and weeds left unchecked that will rob the rest of it from our lives. So we're going to just have some quiet time for a few moments before I pray. I'll let you pray. And I don't really care who's on your right or your left, who's in front of you or behind you. It doesn't really matter who can hear you who can't. The only one who needs to hear you is him. But why just be hearers of the word only and deceive ourselves? Let's get some work done today. Let's till up some soil. Let's offer them up a different life. Just take a few moments. You and God, do business. You and God, John's going to play. Jesus.
church, I don't want to miss the opportunity. Today, that if you have never given your life to Jesus, if you've never asked him to be Savior, to forgive you of your sin, to deal with the thing that separates you and him, if you've never asked him to be Lord of your life, his will and not yours, today really is the moment. The greatest change in our soil happens when we surrender to Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us it's not difficult because it's not really based on how good we have been. Matthew was a tax collector. He was the mafia of antiquity. Jesus said, come and follow me. And he said, yes, Lord, here am I. It really is that easy. If we confess Jesus as Lord with our mouth and believe that he died and rose again, that his work on the cross and resurrection was enough, Today, the Bible says you'll be saved. So we're going to pray. We're going to pray a prayer that just offers up God our life. Ask Him to be fully our Lord and fully our Savior in every area. We're going to trust in His love and His grace to make the difference. And no matter how far or how close we think we are to God, the moment that we ask Him to come, He comes running like the father who sees the prodigal child from far, uh, far distance and runs to meet Him with arms open wide. That's how God is to you today. So I'm going to invite all of us to pray, but today, whether you've never prayed that prayer but want to actually start by having a relationship with Jesus, or maybe you find yourself at quite a distance from Him today, and it's time to come home, today's the day to pray this with me from the bottom of your heart. Just pray this. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, here I am. I've come to give you every aspect and every soil in my life. I'm asking you, Jesus, to be the Lord and the Savior of my life, to forgive me of all my sin, cleanse me of every time I messed up, fill me with your spirit, make me your child. Today I choose to live full on for Jesus Christ. I give you everything. I'm holding nothing back. I'm giving you the whole cake of my life. Jesus, here I am. Be blessed. Be glorified. I choose to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen and amen and amen and amen. Hallelujah. Lord, I thank you today. Lives that are new. Life that is new, life that is new, life that is new. Look, if you prayed that prayer at any level, whether it's your first time or there were just some things that are in distance in in between you, Pastor Rick, Pastor Rick, can you give a a wave over here? That's Pastor Rick, Pastor Ron, and Pastor Irene right down here. They're going to be at these tables in just a moment at the end of service. Take a few moments. Stop down. Let's, let's grab hands and let's pray in agreement. Let, don't let the enemy take one ground. You just step forward. He's going to start shoveling. You say, this is a no-shovel zone. My life is his. We have some material we'll love to give you for free, help you live this thing out as well.
Thank you for letting me share that word today. We're all in it together. There's no shame in having any ground that's not good ground. It's just a shame if we know now how to adjust that ground and we leave it barren. You know, we're just going to close today with the giving of our offerings. I think it's days like today that make it easy sometimes to respond with giving because we recognize how much His giving changed our lives. The Bible says that you and I are not our own. We're bought at a price. I know we live in America and we love our individualistic, capitalistic, democratic spirit that we have. And I'm not against any of that in the natural. But in the spiritual, that's just not the reality. I have nothing. None of the vineyard is mine. He blesses me with it. He helps me to live with from it. But everything in the vineyard is His. So when His word comes, do we accept it? Or do we beat it up and send it off? Do we kill it or elevate it? I am not my own. I was bought at a price. Our worship comes with our lives, comes from our giving, comes from our surrender to holy restraint in every area of our life. So my friends, this is we apply this to giving as well. So on the screens, you're going to see there's multiple ways to give. You can give using these wonderful envelopes that are there. I know many of you asked about how to give into the Easter TKC giveaway that's coming up, our food giveaway. If you just put down there on the Mission TKC line today, this Sunday, we'll make sure that that goes to provide for uh, families in our area that don't have food for Easter, who, want, who need just a little bit of love for Easter. You can always drop them in the gold kiosk, use the QR code to give to find out anything about church. Sign up for Forge or Shoulder to Shoulder, which is our men or women's discipleship groups. Let me just say this, and we're going to go. I'm going to have you stand, and we'll pray. What I talked about today, I promise you, you can't do alone. Here's how I know. Because you'll hit a, a, a zone that's too painful that you're unwilling to push through on your own. It happens to the greatest athletes on the planet. All of them have coaches and trainers because we all reach a point of pain that we don't want to push through. But excellence and victory is on the other side of the pain. We need each other. That's what forging shoulder to shoulder are for. Take an hour out of your life a week. An hour. One hour. Invest it into that ground it doesn't just touch you it runs through you to everyone God wants to bless through you as well can you stand with me we're just going to pray ask the Lord's favor upon you I'm going to invite you to keep praying with me at 858 for the persecuted church around the world brothers and sisters that are going through it 
Let them know they're not alone. Father, we thank you. Daddy, we stand here before you, giving you glory, honor, power, and praise. We magnify you. We lift you up. We shout your name above all things. We shout unto God with a voice of triumph. We say, Jesus, be glorified. Jesus, be praised. You conquered hell and sin and death. There is nothing that you cannot do. As we started this service, we'll end it, Lord God. We say that our Redeemer lives. No matter what we face, our Redeemer lives. Our Redeemer lives. And our hope, our knowledge, our truth is that you're going to come and set your feet back on this earth once again. So, Father, I pray for each and every person around this room, everybody watching online today. I pray a blessing, 30, 60, 100-fold. I pray that every soil that they lay their hands to, that they allow the Holy Spirit to start to change this week, will be multiplied by your grace. Stones will start to fly out. Trampled ground will begin to soften up and produce life again, Lord God. Weeds will begin to be choked out and die by the blood of Jesus Christ. I pray that everything that was surrendered today, vocally and internally, Lord God, to you, that you may seal up. No plan of the enemy has any power over the things that the blood touches. So we stand today, I pray a covering over each and every person in the name of Jesus. Open eyes so that we can see, open ears so we can hear you, open our hearts to receive you. Turn bad ground into good. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And together we say amen and amen. God bless you, church. I love you. I'll see you next week. Have a wonderful week. See you at Forge and Shoulder to Shoulder.